0: Back in the day, I lived in Teeter Hall, not Teeter Cafe. Teeter Cafe is that place in Baldwin that's named after the place that I lived for three years, an old dorm that stood just south of the what's now the Ad Building, was the Ad Building then for that matter, over on Washington Street, and uh, it was kind of a dump. And I remember one day, our whole dorm got in trouble in chapel. And it wasn't because of we were disruptive to the speaker or disruptive to the program. We were the program. <laughs> and, uh, and we got in trouble a little bit. Now, I was just a freshman. I had nothing to do with it. I was a freshman sitting in the choir loft. It was our hall chaplain and some of his buddies who apparently just pushed it a little far. What they did is they, they told the story of the parable of the prodigal son. And I want to explain to you what they did wrong. And first of all, i need some volunteers. Would these two first rows, I know I didn't talk to all of you. Just come up here and stand right here. You don't have to do anything. You just need to stand right here. Row two, come on. Just, just kind of hang out right here. You don't have to look at them. You can look at me. Yeah, let's thank you. Uh, just in, in kind of a big group right in here. Just kind of huddle in together. come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come huddle in. That, that's it. That's it. There. That's close. All right. All right, so, so, so here's what they did. We told the story of the prodigal son and sort of acted it out. And if you know this story, there's this kid who decides that he's tired of being a kid at home and he wants to be free and he wants to have fun and all that kind of stuff. So he asks his dad to divide his resources and he does. And it says that uh, he went to a far land and wasted his, his resources and riotous living. And we demonstrated that by throwing candy bars to the crowd. <laughs> so, but pr- pretty soon he's out of resources and uh, try not to beat each other up, trying to grab those. And then he gets broke. He's broke and the party's over and he has to get a job. And I'm not sure people love the fact that we threw candy bars to the audience, but it was okay. The problem starts now because you see this group of people who we had brought up were not just a group of random students. We'd brought professors up here And they were all professors and administrators. And we got to the scripture that says, and he had to get a job, and he went, and he had to feed the pigs. And he jumped down in the audience and just started handing out crackers to all the professors. Some of which thought it was funny. Some of which were a little offended by it. And so he hands out all these crackers, and when he's done, he uh, decides that this is just not a- enough for him. He doesn't want to spend his life feeding pigs. And so he's going to go home, and he, sees he-, he-, he heads back towards home, and his dad sees him coming from a long way off. And-, and his dad comes running, and the kid's going running towards dad. And in the old King James Version, it says that dad fell on his neck and kissed him. Well, we understand this, that, you know, you see each other and you hug each other and you fall on each other's neck and kiss, but that's not how our, how our chaplain interpreted it. They had dad running and tripping and doing a somersault and falling and laying on his neck with his, with his rear end up in the air. And the sun came up and when he kissed his cheek, it was a cheek of another kind. <laughs> I think that's what really got him in trouble. We're going to talk about the parable of the prodigal, but would you thank these guys? Now, the parable of the prodigal is really an amazing story that Jesus told. In fact, it's probably his best-known story. Luke chapter 15 starts with uh, these words. In fact, I want to read them to you. The tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Notice that there were two groups of people listening to Jesus. There were sinners, people who had messed up in life. They knew they had messed up in life. Everybody else knew they had messed up in life. There were sinners who didn't measure up to the expectations of others. And then there were religious people who just followed the rules and followed the rules and followed the rules. And if you really look at it, as far as, as far as lifestyle, Jesus was more like the religious people than he was like the sinners. But the religious people who were more like him didn't like him. And the sinners who were less like him seemed to like him a lot. Because they flocked to where he was. And they leaned in as he told stories. And the the religious people as they looked at Jesus. It says they muttered about him. That he welcomed sinners. The word mutter there is always used in the New Testament. To describe people who are indignantly complaining. There was something about table fellowship with someone. That implied acceptance of them. And they couldn't believe that someone who purported to be a man of God. Could even consider hanging around these people that they described. Considered despicable sinners. And this is when Jesus, the master storyteller, tells a story to make a point. He actually tells three stories in Luke 15. The parable of a lost sheep and the parable of a lost coin. But this parable of a lost son, the prodigal son, is his most famous ever. It starts like this in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now let's stop right here and think about this kid. Dad's got money. And when he dies, the estate will get divided. And the way it worked in those days is the estate was divided equally among the heirs, except that the oldest son got a double portion. In this case, there are two sons. There's an older son and there's a younger son. The older son's going to get two-thirds. The younger son's going to get a third doesn't seem fair if you're the younger son seems perfect really right if you're the older son this kid knowing he's only going to get a third nevertheless wants it and he wants it now he's impatient he's apparently tired of restraints he's tired of having to follow the rules he's tired of being treated like a kid he wants to experience freedom and so he goes to his dad and says i wish you were dead Well, that's not exactly how the text reads. But basically he says, Dad, if you were dead, I'd get a third of everything. And I'd like a third of everything now. So why don't you treat me now as if you were dead then. And just give me a third of everything now. And Dad doesn't get in his way. He says yes. And divides his estate between the sons. Verse 13. Not long after that. The younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living, throwing candy bars to people, apparently, partying hard. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This kid had been tired of restraints, tired of following the rules, tired of doing what the father told him to do, tired of having to work hard, and he just wanted freedom. Freedom to do what he wanted to do, freedom to enjoy life, and he got it, and he abused it. Let me make a couple observations here. One is that God's restraints... God's commands, because Jesus, as he tells this story, is not just telling a story to entertain people. He's telling a story to try to communicate something about God. God's restraints, his commands, this, this, this is how you do life kind of direction. They sometimes seem like burdens to us, like they get in the way, but really they're blessings. God created us. He knows how we're wired. He knows what will satisfy. He knows what will hurt. He knows what will destroy and his commands are designed to be boundaries inside which we can live. And inside the boundaries, we can live with great freedom, but he does have boundaries. In the boundaries, we can say, I'm going to be a nurse, or, or I'm going to be a teacher, or I'm going to be a pastor. You know, professionally, he gives you a lot of room to make decisions. Inside the boundaries, you can decide, I'm going to go see Star Wars, or who cares about that movie? Who's ever seen that? I'm going to see Alvin and the Chipmunks. Did anybody see Alvin and the Chipmunks? <laughs> Nobody will admit it. Anybody see Star Wars? Woo-hoo! Yeah. The theater I was in, when, uh, when you first saw the Millennial Falcon, everybody in my generation goes, The Falcon, it's the Millennial Falcon. <laughs> you got freedom inside God's boundaries. As long as I'm living within God's boundaries, I'm okay. But God does place restraints in our lives. It's like there's an edge of a stage. And it says, there is a step too far that you can go, or two steps too far, or three steps too far. And when you step past the boundaries, you risk falling into trouble. You're at risk of spiritual injury. And I tell you, that happened to me in my sophomore year in college. It was a bad semester academically. It was a worse semester spiritually. And as I've unpacked it, here's what I think happened. I grew up in a Christian home. I mean, it was a very Christian home. My dad was a pastor. His dad was a pastor. His dad was a pastor. And his dad was a pastor. So I come from a long line of pastors. And, and we were a, a home that was very loving, but it was full of rules. In fact, it felt to me like the faith life, the Christian life, was defined by what we did not do. Real Christians, Dad says, don't do this, and real Christians don't do that, and real Christians don't do this other thing, and real Christians don't do this other thing. And he looked at people who went to church but did some of those things, and he thought, well, they're not real Christians. I mean, he he had a pretty clear definition of what the faith life was. And I grew up in that home, and I followed the rules for the most part. You know, everybody has to press against the rules of their parents a little bit as you go, strive towards independence. But, but I lived within the boundaries of that family. And then I came to college. And as a freshman in college, you began to explore and experience what it means to be in charge of your own life. And there are hall residents, and there are deans, and there are people who kind of provide some kind of guidance and direction. But, but they're not sharing the dorm with you. And you make a lot of your own decisions. And you, you begin to experience Freedom. Sometimes you use those decisions wisely, and sometimes you don't, but you know what freedom is like, or at least a little bit. And then came the end of freshman year, and I went home again. And I was a guy who'd been used to freedom, to some freedoms, and all of a sudden I was back in a home that treated me like I was still in high school. Can you identify with that at all? And you know, there's mom and dad treating me like little Johnny again, and I felt constricted and restricted and... Sometimes frustrated, and then I went back to college after the that semester, that summer at home. I was a sophomore, and I was committed to exercising my independence, and I made some really dumb decisions. One of those decisions was to not bother to study. About two weeks left, and I I played cards a lot. And about 2 weeks in the semester left in the semester I went, "Oh my goodness." And it was not my best semester academically. Now, I didn't flunk out. I wasn't put on academic probation. I guess I was smart enough not to do that. But it was my worst GPA of 8 semesters. But what was worse is I made a lot of bad decisions spiritually. I ran from God. I was a mess. And rather than being satisfied because I was chasing those things that I thought would make me happy, I was guilty, and I was struggling. I was miserable. I was exercising freedom, but it botched it. Let me make a second observation here. Not, not only does God's restraints protect us, but, but sin never delivers what temptation promises. I used that line at the Christmas chapel at the end of last semester. I think it's true. This kid in the story runs away from the father. He goes to a far country and he parties. He has fun. And then the money runs out and then his friends run out. And he he gets a job feeding pigs. And as Jesus tells this part of the story, everyone in the audience would have gasped. Because pigs were considered unclean in Jewish culture. People didn't own pigs. They didn't raise pigs. They didn't feed pigs, they didn't touch pigs, they didn't eat pigs. And it's clear to the audience that this kid could not sink any lower, that he had really screwed up his life. I tell you, I've done this pastor thing, this spiritual leadership thing, this spiritual mentorship thing for a long time in my life. And I've sat across a lot people from a, a lot of people in a coffee shop or in a living room or in my office, and, and people who had messed up their lives and messed them up pretty seriously, who were full of if-onlys. If only I hadn't done that. If only I'd known what she wanted. If only this. If only that. If only I could do it again. And this is the situation this runaway kid finds himself in. If only I hadn't left home. If only I hadn't screwed up. If only I hadn't wasted my money. If only I'd been wiser. If only I'd been more careful. And as Jesus tells this story, the sinners in the crowd are leaning in because they've messed up too. And society has told them that they're too messed up, but here's this guy telling a story that includes their story in it. And I think the religious leaders in the crowd, they're sitting there and they're leaning back going, "Uh uh-huh. Finally, he's speaking the truth about messing up. Finally, he's speaking the truth about, about the, the punishment that these people deserve, these sinners deserve. They're finally going to get it. And I think both groups actually thought that the sinner kid, the rebel kid, had gotten what he deserved. But as we go to the next part of the story, there's something surprising that happens. It says, when he, the kid, came to a senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants... Have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, God, and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, it says, his father saw him and was filled with compassion to him, and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Apparently, dad was dreaming of this day. We don't know how long the kid had been gone, he'd just been gone a while. And I don't guess that dad had sat on the front porch the whole time, just sat there looking, looking, looking. I don't think he'd, he'd gone in depression, that his kid was gone, that type of thing. He ran the family business. But I'm guessing, I'm guessing that every time he walked by a place where he could look down the road that led to where people traveled from to get to the farm, that he just glanced up the road, hoping, wondering. I'm guessing he prayed that his son would come home. And one day, as he crosses the front of the house, he looks up the road, and he sees a figure coming in the distance. He can tell he's disheveled, he's dirty, but there, there's something about him that looks familiar, and all of a sudden, it just clicks. That's my boy! And dad goes running. Now, that doesn't surprise us too much, but in those days, it would have been a shocking statement because in those days, grown men did not run. It was considered undignified. They kind of strutted. They strolled. They were important. And this dad sees this boy. And takes off running and finds him and hugs him and the kid goes into his little speech father I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and dad doesn't even let him finish he interrupts him and he says to his servants quick bring the best robes I mean I think I think the servants had gone running after him thinking what's wrong with this guy he's running The servants are right there. And he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. When Jesus tells us stories, he's trying to tell us something about God and about us and about life. And what you see in this story is a picture Of God's grace. Grace is the unmerited favor or the undeserved favor or blessing of God. You don't deserve it. You've screwed up. You've messed up. All of us are in need of grace. In this case, the kid had messed up big time. And God poured out big grace. Said, welcome home. Our God is the God who's always watching for us. Our God is the God who's nudging us to say, hey, it's time to come home. Our God is the one who's saying, aren't you tired of making a mess of your life? He's the Father who runs to meet us at our point of need. That's our God. And again and again in Scripture, we see what Jesus makes clear in this Scripture. He's the God of relationship. Come home, come home, come home. Now, we're not going to stop right here, because there's still a little bit more in the story. I want to look at it and say a couple comments on it, and then we'll pretty much stop. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. This is the kid who stayed home. This is the kid who's going to get two-thirds of the inheritance. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, Father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he wouldn't even call him his brother. Did you notice that? When this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf. My son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. The older brother is seriously ticked. Throughout the years, however long it's been, he's been imagining things about baby bro. He's been imagining how he spent his money. Maybe he's critical of it. Maybe he's jealous of it. I don't know what it is. He's certainly negative about his brother. He's angry at him for avoiding his responsibility. He's angry at dad for extending mercy. And as Jesus tells this part of the story, I think he's sending a message to the critics in the crowd, to those who grumbled that he cared about sinners. Dad goes out to the grumbling brother And Jesus extends, well, a story, a challenge to the grumblers who leaned back and said he's eating with sinners. And then the story ends. And we don't know what the older brother did. We have no idea. I think that's by design. I think Jesus said each of us have to figure out where we are in the story. And each of us has to figure out what we would do and how we would respond. We don't know if there's a happily ever after ending. But I do know that we need to deal with our role right now. If you figure out who represents who in the story, it's really not too hard. When you think of of the younger brother, the rebel... Uh, I can identify with that. That was me when I was a sophomore. Kind of messed up, doing my own thing, dissatisfied, guilty, realizing that sin had not delivered what temptation promised, and hoping for something different. Maybe you know how God wants you to live, but you've run from him. The father wants to come running to welcome you back into relationship. The older brother is maybe in this room too. If you're critical of sinners, if you don't have a heart of grace, if you can just look at people who are screwing up and saying, look at them, look at them, look at them, and, be, and be, if you're judgmental about them, you might be the older brother. And the father challenges you to understand the importance of relationship. The value of loving the sinner home. The father? Who's the father? That's easy. The father's God who wants a relationship with each of us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, whether you're warm-hearted towards him or whether you're distant, he's looking and saying, come home. Now we're almost done. Do you know what this story is? Is called. Do you know what the typical name of this? It's the parable of the prodigal son, right? Do you know what the word prodigal means? You know, if you if you just listen to society, the prodigal means to be a sinner or to be a rebel, but that's not what it meant. If you go to the dictionary, the first definition of prodigal has to do with wasting resources. Having a lot of stuff and just wasting it. But the second definition of prodigal is actually closer to the original definition of prodigal, which comes from a Latin word. And you know what it means? It means lavish. Lavish. Overflowing. Liberal. Generous. And I think if this story were properly named... It wouldn't be the prodigal son. It would be the prodigal father. The son was a rebel, (coughs) but the father was lavish in grace. He was lavish with compassion. He was lavish with forgiveness. He was passionate and generous with relationship. That's the father who pours out his love on us. (coughs) We're here We have another semester in front of us, and we each get to decide what to do with it day by day by day. And God, who is full of grace and full of mercy, looks at you right now and says, How about relationship? How about love? For some of you, if you've been distant, the Father is waiting waiting for you. And I challenge you, wherever you find yourself now, to get up and start coming back to him. And what you'll discover is he welcomes you home. For those who are critical, for those who are negative, for those who are judgmental, understand those are not attitudes that the Father has. And he invites you to look at others with eyes of love and compassion, to include them in in the love and grace of Jesus, not to push them away. And if you have a broken relationship with someone, I challenge you to love them with the love of the Father. The heart command of God, the one that Jesus said is greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your soul and your mind and your heart and your strength and to love your neighbors yourself. Love God, love the other guy. And my prayer for you this semester Is that you be prodigal in doing that? Can I pray for you? Father, I just believe that there are people in this room right now who've spent a semester or two or three running from you. And it hasn't gotten better, it's gotten worse. Satisfaction meter is not high, it's hurting. And I would pray right now that they'd begin to look inside them and say, is this working? And begin to understand how lavish you are with love and grace. And that this week, next week in Summit, whenever it is, they might open the door, crack to you and say, I want to go home. Father, here I come. For those who specialize in keeping rules and get a little prideful about doing it, break their heart for those who are lost and hurting, and may they humbly understand their need of grace and mercy as well. And may all of us, Lord, just simply lean towards you this year, this semester, seeking relationship and seeking love and seeking to be dispensers of it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in the grace and the love of Jesus. God bless you today.